She bites. <laughs> I'm going first, it seems. <laughs> well, it's our third podcast. Oh my so. god, number three. Ah, it's very We're exciting. still doing this, don't worry. We know it's a big gap between episodes, but we are still actually alive and doing this. Yeah, we're getting there. We've actually stuck to our once a month uh, format. Have we really? Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I thought we hadn't. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, we've done October, November, and this will be December. Ah, so. yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. That's amazing. There's no way I'm going to edit it before tomorrow. So. Oh, no, no, no. It's not going to be a December first. Don't worry. I mean, you know, I could pressure you into doing that. Stay up all night. You'll well, be up on anyway. It's true. <laughs> Do this as well. Just don't sleep at all. Oh God. Um, okay, so, well, I'm Liz. And I'm Hannah. And we're very excited to be here for our third episode. Wow, we might actually be getting, like, the hang of this now. And I we... feel more relaxed. It's yeah. great. <laughs> Yay! Yay! I still talk with my hands, so I'm really trying hard not to. Uh, we'll do our disclaimer. Yes. So our disclaimer is don't listen to us, no. That's essentially what our <laughs> it disclaimer is. It essentially is that. Yes. So, we're not doctors. We're not psychologists. The only degree we hold is in librarianship. So please take this into consideration when listening to our podcast. We do not take responsibility for any of the choices that you make after listening to this podcast. This is purely for entertainment purposes only. And side note, which is important because we're talking about Tasmania today, we don't have two heads. Unfortunately. It could be useful. It could be useful. I reckon I'd hate my second head and that'd be a problem. Yeah. Mine will probably be asleep right now. (laughs) someone has to catch disease yeah so what are we talking about today today we are talking about folk magic in australia that uh may have appeared with the british settlers and convicts convicts. yeah so we're focusing on tassie on tasmania because that's where we are and so we have a particular interest in that area so yeah do you want to start I will. Um, I will. Pretty much all the information that um, I have found, all the sources, is taken from the Tasmanian Magic Project, Project. which is run by Dr. Ian Evans, and he's been travelling around the state um, just seeing if he could find evidence of folk magic here in Tasmania because Mm. it was believed that it wasn't here. I think he partially chose Tasmania because of how old and long we've been settled. So Sydney, for people who don't know, Sydney was settled first. That's where our first settlement of primarily British convicts and settlers came to. And then Tasmania. Like they had a settlement in Sydney and then they came down to Tasmania. So because it was believed that it hadn't made it here, um, that's folk magic. That's folk magic. Mm. Um, it's been quite an interesting project that uh dr ian evans has done um he even went to my parents house and oh that's had cool. a look that unfortunately there were no marks oh, but it was like that's less cool but a anyway. home that was built in the early 1800s so mm. he wanted to check to see if there were any there so what kind of time period are you talking about essentially it's it's pretty much like around the early 1800s to the mid so like a yep. lot of the things i saw were around the 1840s Yep. Some may have been a little bit later, but certainly 1800s is yep. pretty much what we're talking about. Excuse me, everybody. That was my phone. Part of uh, the belief that the folk magic would be found here, which it has been, spoiler alert, that um, 
around the idea of protection magic. So protecting their families, protecting themselves in this foreign environment. Very foreign. Um, The seasons weren't even in the right order. No, that's true. As far as they were concerned, (laughs) they had no idea what they were doing. Different animals. Yeah, um, really weird ones. Really, really weird ones. Yes. Yeah, it would have been terrifying when you really think about it. It was completely foreign to them. So, yeah, of course they were trying to protect themselves from all these weird things that they saw. Exactly. I mean, yeah. basic things like the plants weren't the same. The seasons weren't the same. It would have been absolutely terrifying. And the animals were Yeah, we won't talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, like, they, they, it, was, it was a tough life. So, you know, let, mm. let alone sickness and yeah. having access to medicine and as well as, like, risk of um, bush rangers uh, coming in. Mm taking things from them mm. or killing them convicts yeah. who had escaped who may Which have been desperate they that happened fairly regularly i think from what i have heard and read because we as australians this is what we studied in school rather than anyone else's history so there were frequent convict escape attempts at least so that was something that happened fairly regularly um, no, I'll leave that as one of my stories. <laughs> this, I have a section too, but this is doing this first one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is that, of course, uh, there was tensions between um, the indigenous population and the British settlers. So we are choosing to use the term settlers um, yes. to be consistent with Dr. Uh, Ian Evans' research, but we understand that other people would prefer that they were referred to as invaders. This is true. So we're not implying anything, but what we read was mostly the term settlers. Yeah. So we're going convicts, of course. We're going with the terms that that we read has used. Okay. So essentially, Dr. Evans has found three main types of folk magic in Tasmania. Uh, one is burnmarks, another is concealed objects, so things that are hidden in the like spaces in homes, like under the floorboards, in the attic, in the walls, that kind of thing. Up the chimney. Up the chimney. Well, that sounds like a euphemism. It does, but it's not. It's actually <laughs> literal. <laughs> and then the word I'm going to ruin is um, apotropic. Apotropic. I'm not even going to try. Anyway, they're, they're I'm leaving like, that to lose. That was so wrong. I, I practiced and I still can't get it right. If someone knows how to say that word, do you want to spell it? A-P-O-T-R-O-P-A-I-C. Assuming I wrote it down right. If someone knows or how knows how to pronounce that word, please send us a recording. Thank you. That would be great. We ex- please accept our humble apologies. Oh my God. I'm not even going to pretend I can say words. Um, so essentially what those kinds of marks were things like, um, hexafoils, so patterns, um, concentric circle marks. So that's like a little, uh, circle that has, um, rays of circles going to the outside. So think like when you throw a stone into mm. water and it ripples, it looks kind of like that. Did they have like four circles? Like a little one and a bigger and a bigger one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And they'll, they you know, as evenly spaced as they could be, I guess. Yeah, for hand drawn. Yeah. Mm. Um, something called Merles, which is like M-E-R-E-L-S, um, which was like little crosses. Okay. And they were like I hadn't read about. Scribbles. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool. I'll put a link to the 
to what they look like in the show notes as okay. well. Cool. Um, but I can show you what they looked like because I, I get to see a picture. Ah, okay. Yes, yes. Like you might not think anything of it because no. it does look quite like just scribble marks. Some of the pictures I saw, I was I thought, oh, how would you even know that that's unless you studied it? You just think this was markings on the wall, like scratches or which they are, but not purposely put there. That's yeah. what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. And I think that's why so many things were missed for so long. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is X-shaped uh, hinges, which were done by uh, blacksmiths mm. um, and put into the building. So that was really cool. So I think what I'll do is I'll talk about each one separately. Yep. Does that sound good? Yes. So let's start with concealed objects. Cool. Concealed objects essentially were items of clothing. Oftentimes it was a single shoe with the laces yep. removed. Ah, oh, I didn't read about the laces removed. Yes. I yes, was really yes. surprised by that. And it yep. was often for young children and yep. like like younger people generally. Yep. And it was they thought it was a symbol to uh, protect the child while they lived in the house or the young person while they lived in the house. Did it say specifically the relations had been removed or could they have disintegrated? They said removed, okay. but I that's a possibility. Mm. But yeah. I suppose if they were leather shoes, which they normally would have been rather than cloth. Yeah. The leather laces, if they made the laces out of leather, would have survived as yeah. well, you'd think. So that makes sense that they think they're removed. Yeah, they mm. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought that was... Interesting. Um, it is. Now, we've got to say, we've got to, I guess, make a disclaimer that there aren't actually any surviving contemporary documents. Like, there isn't anything written down that describes why these marks are there. Yeah. And so, you they're, know... They're guessing, essentially. So Dr. Evans is making educated, but still a guess. Yeah, and I guess they've seen these things in in England as well. Yeah. And I read somewhere even some of these marks were seen in Roman times. So oh, that's interesting. So they've been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of history behind it to point towards it being this is what they were actually doing, but nothing written down to say we made this mark for this reason. Yeah. Mm. That they have found so far. So far. So hopefully if it was a bit frowned upon, they probably never will. <laughs> that is true. Why write something down that could send you to jail or to be hung? <laughs> so part of the thought of actually, oh, I should keep going with the objects. What other yep. objects were there? Um, there were, so there were shoes. Shoes. I read shoe, there were a lot of shoes and um, clothes. Items of clothing. Uh, one mm. of the things they did find was a convict shirt, and it's the only one that has survived from the early days. Oh, because they found it was that. Oh. put into a void, so that's how they know what it looks like. That's, that's really interesting. Isn't that cool? I thought that was really cool. Mm. One of the things they haven't seen, but they're really hoping they'll find, is a witch's bottle. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so people, if you happen to be looking in the void of old 1800 houses... Uh, yep. You may find a witch's bottle and yep. Dr. Ian is going to want to hear from you. <laughs> if you're in Australia. If you're in Australia, that's right. Which we're assuming a lot of people will be if you're listening to this, but yeah. not necessarily. That's right. We're very hopeful. We're optimistic. We are very optimistic. <laughs> um, okay, so places um, where you might find these objects, um, often they were hid uh, in chimneys. Yep. Doorways. Like in the spaces near doorways, you've got to remember mm-hmm. these are in the void. Yep. Um, window spaces, attic spaces, subfloors, and often under the hearth, which is the center point yep. of the house for, for that, that time. Yeah. yeah. 
And part of the reason why they thought that these objects were placed into the voids, these mm. empty spaces, was so that they could de- uh, trick an evil spirit into going into the space and trapping them oh, in there. Okay. Hmm. So I thought, yeah, we could still do that this day. We could borrow this. and We could definitely. When I read that they put it into the spaces, I read not quite as much as these did. <laughs> um, for what I thought it would have been was because it's going sort of into the bones of the house. Yeah. So it's in a space that is part of the house. So the whole house or structure or whatever, because it wasn't just homes, as Liz will tell you. And so the whole building would be covered by the magic, I suppose, rather than having it in a room. So that room would be it's yeah. in the bones of the house, connected yeah. to what they used to build the house kind of thing. That's how I read the space. Well, I would prefer that mm. than the thought of trapping something in the walls and it becoming a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of frightening when you said that. I was like, well, I thought this other thing... <laughs> So it's just the whole house is protected and they stay out rather than not come into this space under the floor and just be trapped there forever. So that's where the hexafoils was used more than the actual objects. So they mm. thought the objects were more to trap. So okay. yeah. yeah, or to trick them so they don't come to you, but they go to the object yeah, and then instead. they're stuck. Yeah. It's still terrifying. <laughs> Other thing, and I can't believe I didn't write this down, is mm. of course skulls and mummified cats are being found yes um every headline i read mentioned the cat (laughs) and every one of those articles i didn't want to look at they actually in one of the articles they said they didn't know why the cat was put into the void like maybe they didn't have other objects to put in and so they chose the cat or i don't know i kind of think like when you look at history and how much cats have been Mm placed with evil particularly around witches and a lot of these people are from a time when witches were yeah. thought to exist in that way yeah. of communing with the devil yes but maybe that's why they put the cat in as a way to but i don't know they just said they didn't know uh one of the interesting finds um was mm. a tasmanian devil skull okay, this i didn't void. read yes yes so they um believe that like the folk magic evolved to include the local surrounding which is great because it's yeah. one of the things we talk about as modern pagans yeah. is using our environment and so it's connecting to where you live and yeah. that's what it's all about yeah it was in a subfloor space okay. on macquarie river um mm. yeah so i thought that that was also really interesting that they mm. adapted to what they had in their environment yeah so love that mm. and considering the what a tasmanian devil is so for people who don't know it's a little carnivorous animal well not that little so small dog size kind of thing yeah they're scavengers and they make the most horrifying noise when they fight so thinking about that if they caught one if they associated it with that terrible noise and they smell really bad yeah you could see why they would put that under a floorboard to protect as as part of protection because they're fierce little things yeah Mm. Um, and interestingly, it was only the head that they put under there, so not the whole body. So, yeah, I mean, it's not that small an animal, so they could have done something else with the body. It's possible. Just survival kind of stuff I'm talking about. But yeah, yeah. it makes sense that they would put that kind of animal as a protective kind of thing under the floorboards. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah mm. I think so too. Mm. So I can definitely see, see the that link ha- there yeah. for yeah. sure. 
Uh, so the types of buildings where these kinds of objects have been found include homes, obviously, courthouses. Oh, courthouses. Police mm-hmm. stations. Mm-hmm. Convict... Um, Convict places. Yeah. I'm going to cut that out. I think it's buildings to do with the administration of the convict system, I suppose. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, lighthouses. Oh, that would be interesting. And a non-Tassie example, the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Oh, that's also really interesting. Mm. And I didn't read about that because I stuck to Tassie <laughs> in the little bit of research I did. So, yeah. Oh, and there's another example that I know of, the stables. Ooh. The stables. Aha. Uh-huh. Of course, the stables. Yeah. 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 So when you get on to another type of folk magic, I can actually talk about that. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm going to go to burn marks now. Yes. Okay. So one of the most common uh, types of folk magic that found is burn marks. So, and they were mostly found in stables where mm. horses were, because horses were a very, very important, important. Um, commodity to have. Um, and they're also found in some grain sheds as well, which I found okay. really interesting. And they were made by holding a candle flame up against the wood, generally around the entrance of the building, mm-hmm. but not always. Um, and they would leave a burn mark and they would scratch it away and then they would burn it again and scratch the ash away and burn again so that it were really quite well cemented yeah. in. And it's believed that the burn marks were used to protect the structure from fire. Mm-hmm. So Australian bush and fire is also a very oh yeah very special we've relationship. Had, since <laughs> the last podcast we've had a few more bushfires, not in Tassie, thank goodness, but with the on mainland Australia it's been bad. Has been really bad. So yes, we can understand why they would do that. Yeah. Hmm. What I found fascinating about the burn marks though hmm. is that um Dr. Ian Evans was speaking to someone in England mm-hmm. and they started checking the stables there and they found them there as well. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time they've really been talked about was based on Tassie. Yeah. Um, and then yes. they took it back home. That was, I read, I can add something. I read something about the Burmax as well in the horse stables. So what I read said Evans investigated 21 stables in 2017, I think, yeah. or a bit earlier. For burn marks and only one of those didn't have any burn marks so he was pretty sure that they were quite widespread in one property which was built in the 1850s there were 58 burn marks found in part of that building so there was only seven horse stables like the stalls left and there were 58 burn marks in that quite i think smallish area considering what else there was the other thing this article said this is really not stretching it but i could see the connection so they said they didn't know exactly why the burn marks were there hence there's no written record as we've talked about but they could have a link to a secret secreting inverted commas horseman society from the uk so there was a group known as the society of horsemen's of the horseman's word so and they were sort of they said like a trade union i don't i hope i'm not taking your glory and you didn't see this um, <laughs> well, you're right. Keep going. <laughs> um, and but, so they were basically like a trade union for men who worked with horses. And they said men because they would have mostly been men. And they just swapped information and knowledge about looking after the horses. And if if some of those members had have become convicts, which possibility definitely, 
they brought their practices out to, to Tasmania. And they think some of those would have included rituals and practices to superstition to protect the horses. Which I love. Love, Which love, I thought love. was yeah, very interesting. And yes, the article that I read said that there hadn't been any, any similar research in the UK about the burn marks specifically. And they, they were thinking about it but hadn't even thought about it until Evan said, Yeah. Hey, look. Is this is this up there where you guys are? Yeah, which I thought was really cool. And I can see how it would just be overlooked. Yeah. You know? The other thing I love about the burn marks is, can you imagine the intention while doing that? Like the mm. amount of energy um, you could put into that while you're like scratching away the mm. mark and mm. it's a long, it. longer process. And also, in some areas, and sometimes candles were. An important and sometimes scarce commodity. I know at some points they didn't have many, but they still did that. Like fifty-eight burn marks in seven horse stalls. That's that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And when you've only got a handful of candles to last you for a certain amount of time, yeah, it's it's an investment. So they must have really this was important to them to do that. De- yeah. Depending on the society or like the level of society they were, how much money they had, and things like that, but. The people who didn't have as much money, so candles were more difficult to get. That was an investment to be Absolutely. able to do that. Yeah. yeah. And I just, yeah, it just blows my mind that that we find out about our own pre-Australian history based on what the practices were here. Yeah. I think that's Little amazing. Window into, yeah. It really, when I read, as you said earlier, when, when I read that they didn't think it happened here why 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 would they think it didn't happen here yes there was no evidence of it so the assumption they couldn't say it definitely did and you still can't definitely say obviously some of this stuff was very intentional some of the markings so yes you could say it was put there with an intent but why would someone who had done this at home to protect their animals or crops and their family come to Australia, this place that they knew nothing about, and just stop doing it. Why, why would they do that? It seems silly. Why would anyone, why would we now think that they would stop doing that? Yes, there's no written evidence, so it's not a concrete, they definitely did. But seriously, like, you know, I really like milk in my tea. If I moved to the United States, why would I suddenly stop drinking milk in my tea if I could still do that? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> I might, but I probably wouldn't. I like milky tea. Yeah, no, exactly. Especially if it was something more serious, like protecting your family. Yeah. Rather than just milk in your tea. It served as a good example. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and like, maybe there was that assumption that, you know, as we became more scientifically minded, maybe we stopped looking at the superstitions and that mm. kind of thing. But it's, I guess that's where it's so important to have those conversations with your family, like yeah. your grandparents. and If you still can. If you can. Mm. Yeah, because you just don't know what they did that was superstitious that is actually folk magic, you yeah. know? And I, I just love it. I love, love, mm. love it. Um, all right. So, should we move on to the third type? Yes. The third time. Go and go, go, go. We're going to do the magic marks, the cool. hexafoils. Um, okay, so these marks have actually not really been um, 
talked about for a very long time. Like, really, they've only just been discovered in yeah. Australia, yeah, obviously. Yeah. People just thought that they were drawings on the walls, that kind yeah. of thing. Again, as I think I said earlier, I saw some pictures and thought they were... How, how would you know what they were? Yeah. I, I couldn't... When it was pointed out, I was like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a mark. But some of them were just like little scratches in the wall. Yeah. As if they were moving furniture or something. Yeah. Or like a kid had got a knife and just yeah. drew something, you know. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, well, I've read something and I and I, I haven't got the reference written down, which is a bit of a bugger. But mm. um, apparently the marks were first identified in the 1980s in Suffolk. Oh, wow. So it's oh, not, in Suffolk, yeah. yeah it's yeah. not that long that no, people have been... even that, that's not very long. It's like, what, 40 years? Like, that's a scary thought. <laughs> Don't want to think about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and again, similar sort of spots as the concealed items as well. It's um, um, points of entry. So door, um, doorways and windows kind that's of That's right, yeah. So, and they often were found with um, concealed objects. Okay. So, like, kind of like yep. two different kinds of magic put together, I guess. Like, one to trap and one, one to, to protect. protect. That makes sense. Food stores, um, food prep places, and mm. also where they serve food. So, like, anything around food. And you can understand that it being scarce and not a big supply, yeah. that it would be... And they would, didn't understand as much about how disease was spread. So, and they'd want to keep, especially if they were Irish, they'd want to keep their food fresh as well because of, yeah, of what was happening around this time. Some of those people would have come out from the famine. Oh, yeah. And even like just slightly before the official famine started. Um, And the other thing was around livestock as well, of course. So protecting their livestock. Um, And they're found in many, many, many Australian states. Because mm. we have so many, but <laughs> it's not not just just not Tassie. So you know they're they've been mm. found all over the place. Mm. Um, the males, if that's how you say it, are less common. Um, um, and the one thing that they're really hoping to find that they haven't found is mm. like something that looks like spectacles. So it's like two circles, circles with a line, like okay, a yep, yep, kind yep. of line above it. Kind of think like Harry Potter's spectacles, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I went there. <laughs> um, and that's to protect against the evil eye, and they're yet to discover it, so they're really hoping in that Tassie they find it. In or in Australia? In Australia as a whole. Cool. So they haven't really done a lot outside yes, of. Yes, yes. Um, so the Tasmanian Magic Project has now been renamed the Australian Magic Project, and they are looking at other states properly now. Yep. Um, and Victoria's being looked at quite heavily at the moment. Some of our states weren't settled till really late as well. I think Western Australia was, but South Australia I think was almost. Don't quote me, nineteen hundreds. I don't actually know. It was so, quite. It was very late eighteen hundreds. Yeah. So some of those poor guys wouldn't have as much history as we do. Yeah. But I bet it would still go on. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm sorry to South Australians if that's wrong. Correct me if it's wrong. It's like, off the top of my head. Let's apologise to my husband. Where yeah. is he? <laughs> I will after this is done. <laughs> And of course, the um, the hinges, which I mentioned earlier, yeah. they've been found in the Longford area, so at Warmer's Estate and Brickerton Estate. So that's oh, cool. pretty exciting. Did you say what they represented or what they did? Was it protection from? They think so. Not the trapping. Generally, it was protection. So yep. generally, they were found around food stores and where animals were kept. So yep. it was kind of the same thing as the yep. heads of oils. So yeah, cool. Um, yes, yeah, so that was really really it for the main magic mark. So. We have a history of folk magic here that's... Yay! You know. No one thought was there for no reason at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which is absolutely fascinating. 
but it's great that they're actually studying this stuff here like Australia's history is comparatively short when it comes to Europeans who are here that, yeah. that part of our history is short and that is our heritage both of us obviously so it's nice to have this research into that aspect now it's just it, yeah. it really is exciting because sometimes it feels like we were cut off from that side yeah. of things and mm. like particularly when it comes to magic and witchcraft which yeah. we obviously care about and yes um mm. yeah so yeah it is really nice to think yeah well the people who were here were doing that yeah they just brought their beliefs with them yeah to the other side of the world and they weren't just lost when mm. you know um christianity came in and yeah then they got left behind or yeah just yeah. like in other countries christianity may have came in or other other religions may have come through but the people still believe what they believe they still had their superstitions they still had their magic yeah mm. yeah mm. their folk folk magic yes yay um so the only other bit of evidence i guess that mm. i can talk about is um something again that uh Dr. Ian Evans found in our local public library in the Libraries Tasmania and it was of a almanac from 1811 that was owned by a person called William Allison and he was a farm manager at a few different properties actually mm-hmm. um, and there is evidence in this almanac where he's written his own notes in the blank mm-hmm. pages um, of him being a cunning man and this is the first like concrete documented mm. written down stuff for yeah. Tasmania and that mm. was really exciting the whole thing's been digitized so you can actually go to I'll put it in the link as yep. show notes Genetics, as well yeah. um, and he did he came here from England um, and his almanac details um, a sacred charm which talks about Jesus which is really interesting so there's that kind of the crossover yeah um, he had remedies for ailments mm-hmm. so and um, including things such as uh, rheumatism um, or pain in the head I love that pain, pain in the, in the head, head. <laughs> I get lots of pain in the head and it's not just caused by other people <laughs> excuse me it's a lovely phrase I go Mine, mine's probably always dehydration but <laughs> so William Allison he was born in 1789 about mm-hmm. 1789 and died in 1856 um, he came to Van Diemen's Land while well, still known as Van Diemen's Land in the 1830s yep. now this almanac that he wrote in was an astrology almanac which I thought was really cool um, he would have needed it if he was doing anything even cunning man like yeah we would have needed to know and yeah because we're so different even our moon cycle the moon goes the opposite way to well it shows yeah. in the opposite way if that makes sense yeah we go yeah. cd instead of d d so. yeah but anyway um, I, I always forget i just know it's backwards <laughs> it's like it's contained our not... man in the moon in the full moon is upside down ah uh, for me it's a soggy Mm-hmm. <laughs> for people who come from the northern hemisphere to here i have been told your man in the moon is upside down like it's silly and i'm like yours is the wrong way around i can still see it <laughs> um what's interesting though is that i think the almanac was from 1811 but he mm. was still using it and writing in it in mm. 1828 so that's what not I think exactly a 
yeah easy to come by commodity yeah and it, it, and it didn't like obviously match because it was yeah you know english and yeah and that's just our moons are even the wrong way around and what's really sweet about that um, almanac is that he has, like, all these little notes um, about, like, lambs and, like, stock and stuff like yeah. that. And then every now and then there'll be, like, a recipe for something, which was... <laughs> so it was a real jumble. Yeah, yeah. Kind Nothing's... of the, like, yeah. how I keep my book of shadows, I guess. <laughs> There's no order. It's just, like, I need to know this now or I'm going to write it down and there we done. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of... Yeah, that's kind of... it. Yeah. So uh, one of the recipes he had was how to make sherry wine, mm. which you can get. It's quite a simple recipe, so you can make no. that if you like. It's available. And uh, But what's interesting is that he mentions that he obtained some of his recipes, and I say that in yeah. um, quotes, yeah. um, from two different people, someone called Moses Jewell and Benj Noakes. That kind of suggests that there's evidence of three people who were cunning folk in Tasmania that weren't doctors mm. but were known as doctors for mm. their remedies and that kind of thing so mm. I I really really love that um and Dr. Noakes was definitely a he was a convict okay um not a real doctor but have they looked those people up yeah they have so this Good. this all this information I'm getting from here is by a librarian called Ian Morrison librarian <laughs> love, librarian gotta love your local librarian, librarian. they um, discover witches they do well they, in this case, they write know. articles that when yeah. Dr. Ian Evans discovers witches true 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 um, so it, he has been keeping up the blog on the library's Taz page so I can also include that in the show mm. notes so he's the one that talked about all this stuff mm. so he was a Christian who practiced folk magic so then mm. you've got that you know kind of link where yeah. you know which is beautiful and apparently he cured the gravel. The gravel. This is, this is Noakes. This is Noakes. Okay. He had a recipe for the gravel, which he then gave to Allison, to William Allison. Um, what, what is that? What do you reckon the gravel is? I have no idea. Kidney stones. Oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I was like that too. Oh. I was like, the gravel. I'm going to start calling it the gravel. I think, yeah, I think it's supposed to feel like the gravel. It's a very good descriptor. Yeah, I think so too. Mm. So really, like, there's not really much more to say. His notes are very small. There's not a whole heap in there. Yeah. Um, but it's worth having a look and a read if you can mm. read the handwriting. Um, it's not as bad as some old-timey, yeah. difficult-to-read handwriting. But, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's pretty much all I have for you. That's exciting. Okay, now it's my turn. I am going to tell a few family stories that suggest some folk magic and some superstition so my ancestors come from ireland on my mother's side which is the people i'm going to talk about we came out late so i'm only fifth generation tasmanian liz is a few more generations of her family have been here so mine my some of my ancestors came out on some of on i think some came out on the last ship that came to tasmania the rodney so we came out late and we came out from Ireland because of famine and because of fighting with the English who came and took our land, that kind of thing. There were some crimes and there were a few, which I didn't know, there were quite a few wives and sisters coming out after convict brothers and husbands and things like that. So that's real quickly... <laughs> 
sort of a, a real quick summary of, of that part of my family. So you can sort of get an idea of their kind of beliefs, I suppose. They would have been classed as Catholic, but they were Irish Catholic, which is very different. So running through my family, there's beliefs in fairies, there's beliefs in divination and ghosts. And yeah, and it was fine. They'd go to church on Sunday, talk about the ghosts on Monday night kind of thing. You know, it was, it was just what happened. It was just very normal and very accepted. There's one story which I'm going to tell really quickly because I haven't written it down. So one of my, mm, so maybe my, my grandmother's cousins, something like that. So that would have been 1900s, early 1900s. She ran away for a few days. She was older teenager, I think. And she ran away from home. She disappeared. They didn't know where she was. And she'd been gone a couple of days and then she came back. And she said the fairies had taken her. That was her explanation. She said she'd been with the fairies. And that was fine. They believed her. Nine months later, she had a little Chinese baby. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how they felt about her running away with the fairies, in inverted commas, after that happened. But it didn't matter. The baby was accepted. So there was no they turned the baby out or anything but she that's what she told them she said she'd run away with the fairies the fairies had taken her away for her when in reality she probably had a dalliance with somebody she liked oh i love this so <laughs> little chinese fairies but yeah that was what she said to them like to that <laughs> and to, that was accepted and it was just fine fact. yeah it's like oh good heavens what happened to you I got knocked up by a fairy. Who <laughs> looked <laughs> particularly Chinese. So that, and that's what it was like. That was what my family were like back then. And to a degree now. And this um, was in Tasmania? That was in Tasmania, wow. yeah. Wow. So what other little quick stories do I have? Um, my grandmother read playing cards like tarot. Ooh. So she had a system of reading playing cards, you know, with mm-hmm. the four suits and all that as divination and my mother remembers some elements of that and she would do it openly and quite regularly and I wishing she had lived longer my grandmother passed away when I was 12 so I wasn't into this stuff then but if she could have taught me how to read the playing cards it would have been really great what an amazing thing to yeah do wow yeah so the things my mum remembered was the darker cards were not so great events happening. Mm-hmm. Spades were really not great. Clubs were communication mm-hmm. kind of things like letters. It was always letters because obviously phone and stuff wasn't a thing until much later. So it was letters, people talking to you, communication, but often bad news. Uh-huh. And she wasn't 100% sure, but she thought diamonds were money. Mm. and hearts were love makes sense which made sense yeah she wasn't 100 percent sure but i i said to her oh you know diamonds and money and hearts that were love or you know relationships and she was like probably but she wasn't 100 percent sure the court cards were people uh-huh. much the same as in the tarot the court cards can be people but for my grandmother's way of reading playing cards they were people and again, it was the colouring. So people, club people were very dark, had really dark skin. 
spades people were oh no spades were really dark people clubs were slightly a lighter coloring hearts my mum said I'd be a heart person so say I've got brown hair and fairer skin and then diamonds were blonde blonde hair blue eyes kind of oh, thing oh wow and I was like wow that means there's hardly any I don't know many diamond people yeah so and that's how that went that and that was all she could remember the really interesting thing about it though was oh not very long ago we found a book or she found a book in an op shop a little skinny divination book from like the 70s that had this way of reading the cards in it oh cool so we do actually have because yes my grandmother's passed away but we do actually have a approximation of what of how she used to read the cards i tried to find it to look at it for the podcast episode but we just couldn't because oh, my mum has been cleaning so all the stuff's been moved around it's been put somewhere safe yep yeah <laughs> like we know i know what it looks like and it's quite small and thin but yeah yeah and she got that specifically she bought that book for like 50 cents because it had the way nan read the cards oh in we're it. gonna have to so do this one day yeah that sounds fun and i think i remember my mum saying that my grandmother had a specific pack of cards that she read so you couldn't play cards with them they were put away and they were the divination cards wow and she only read those cards yeah i think one of my cousins reads the cards i think uh-huh. she's a bit older than me and she reads the cards in nan's way uh-huh. because she was older and so she was able to be taught and she got pretty good at one point i don't know if she still does it now because it was years ago that she read mine but it'd be good to talk to her too but we Hell have the book yeah. we have the book uh what other interesting things before i get into the more witchy things um two short but really cool things when my great i think this is great great grandfather so night turn of the century when when the wright brothers were flying when they first put together their plane and were doing there was some flight but not much he predicted that people would fly to the moon that was what he said, and he would tell people, and they thought he was crazy. <laughs> Absolutely not, completely off his head. But he said that then, I find that kind of cool. He has a lot of uh, he was He was a really smart guy, supposedly, and everyone thought he was crazy. Um, another thing that is interesting, sort of going along with some of the stuff you said earlier, when, when I think about my grandparents... So my grandparents knew convicts. Yep. Because their grandparents were convicts. Yep. So my grandfather and grandmother met convicts, met people who had come here from Ireland, who had the really strong accents and all the folk beliefs. And I met them. So it's not when we think of convicts or when I think of convicts, that's history. That's way, way, way back there. But no, I met someone who met convicts. Yeah. So it's not that far, yeah. which is always blows my mind. But my grandfather, was it my grandfather or one of his brothers, they were Irish convicts. They were, you know, they came from Irish convicts. They're, some of them were a bit naughty, were a bit dodgy. That's true, <laughs> obviously. But one day this random guy turned up at either my grandmother's or like her sister's place this this older gentleman 
and he wanted to talk to the, the husband, so either my grandfather or like my great uncle or whatever. And she, she was like, who is this man? I, she didn't like him. He thought he was a bit odd. And she's just like, oh, he's not here and like made him go. And he was either the acquaintance of or a bush ranger, like one of the famous ones. Oh, like, cool. And she didn't know. And he did, yeah, escaped convict and was, had become a bush ranger and he'd come looking for, because my, either my grandfather or my great grandfather or the cousin or my like brother or sister of like knew him. And hadn't hadn't told his wife, <laughs> and it was because he'd been a convict as well, yeah, yeah. Or, or knew of, yeah. Like it had come down, like, oh, you're the son of, you're the grandson of, da da da, yeah, convict, yeah. Who knew this yeah. bush ranger who yeah. was running away from, yeah, and that that blows my mind because you know bush rangers, yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy. Wow, that could have gone differently. Yeah, but he was—I think he was an older, an older man. Yeah, like a bit of an older man. So he—I don't know how capable he was by then, but yeah, yeah. He, he knew the comment. Yeah, like he knew the bush ranger and yeah, or was and yeah, yeah. And she, but she sent him on his way, and then the husband came home. And was like, and she asked him, and he was like, "Oh, that that was uh, hmm. yeah, no. that was this person and." Hmm. <laughs> Now I have to tell you. Do yeah, I now know? I actually have to tell you. <laughs> okay, so some of the more witchy beliefs that were ran through my family. A big thing was when it got dark outside, do not throw the washing up water or the washing water outside because you get on the fairies. Oh, you so wouldn't want that. Yeah, and yeah. you piss them off. So don't don't throw the washing water. My mum said the washing up water, but don't throw water outside in any capacity after dark because it'll get on the fairies and then they'd be annoyed at you yeah so that was that was a big thing like you'd hit the fairies with the water and that was no no a big no no okay so here's some actual longer stories this happened when my mother was alive so this is the 60s or even the 70s so not a huge amount of time ago liz has heard this story so my this is my great aunt and uncle and this happened in the south of of tasmania pretty close to where we are now actually so my fa- my mum's family lived there and some of my grandmothers and grandfathers brothers and sisters like they all sort of settled in the same kind of area which would have been from the farm that originally everyone came to when they were convicts and they got land that kind of thing so we all just sort of stayed here my grandmother's I think it was my grandmother's sister married a man from Belgium and they lived close by and they came down one morning in a terrible, terrible state. They were really upset about something and really, oh my God, like, are you, is all your family okay? Is everyone all right? They were really in, like, really upset about something. And my, and my grandmother brought them in, brought them into the kitchen and would have given them a shot of whiskey each because that's what happened to calm their nerves because they were beside themselves was the phrase that my mother used to describe it and they had a terrible night so in the middle of the night they had heard an awful awful noise outside their house and they thought they had heard the banshee cry and the banshee's cry meant to them that someone close to them was going to die so that's the belief and I think that's still the belief about in certain areas about banshees if you hear the banshee calling someone's going to die someone close to you someone you care about and that, that was what 
and there was this big furore for a few days because they was everyone was a bit worried my uncle who's a bit of a skeptic he's also passed on now a lovely man he thought it was a seabird or a tasmanian devil like he if you've ever heard a tasmanian devil fighting as i said earlier you know what they sound like and yes you could i remember being frightened hearing tasmanian devils and possums fighting when i was little so i could see if you had that belief why you'd think it was yeah a banshee (laughs) but there were many members in the family who just dismissed that and said nope it's the banshee and they there was a few days of worry but no no one died as far as we know so that hasn't been attached to the legend yeah so banshees I love that story so much. <laughs> I can just, I've seen pictures of this couple of my like, great aunt and uncle and just imagining them running, well, maybe not running over the hill. They may have driven, but not many people had cars, but running over the hill in their 50s and 60s, like smart outfits. Ah, the banshee, like waving their arms wildly. It's a very funny picture. And being very worried about, oh, oh. imagine the stress. And they had to wait to first light because the banshee was outside their oh, house. Of course. So they had to wait to come down and, you know, they would have been coming over the hill to the, the sister's house expecting someone to be dead. It would have been horrible. Oh. Like, <laughs> poor things. And I can also see my uncle sitting there going, it was a bird. And everyone going, no, no, it was the banshee. Yeah. And this is the the same family that um, that believed that the daughter was with the fairies. No, that no. was generation back, I think. Okay. Or yep. like, oh no, same generation, but I'm not sure if it's. I don't think it was the same family okay. because um, that couple, my great aunt and uncle, I think they only had like two kids. Okay. So yeah, yep. This was a bigger family. Yeah. Uh, with the fairy daughter yeah yeah but you can see can you see a, a pattern I'm, I'm noticing you can see a theme yeah 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 <laughs> I can see what's happening here yeah. <laughs> so my next my last longish story is about my great-great-grandmother so this woman was a convict from Ireland I can't remember exactly when she came out but again it would have been later so 1840s or 30s or 40s kind of thing her brother was was a convict and she had come out to take care of him when he was not a convict anymore, when he got his ticket of leave. And I like this part of the story. So her her there was a man in Dublin who was a they called them um not sergeants, but he was a policeman. Yeah. The precursor to the actual police in, in Britain, in Dublin. Okay. And they were called, I think they may have been called constables, but that was a certain role before the police, like it was a precursor. So he he was allowed to go around and we read about it when my mum and I went over, we read about the constables or the detectives or something like that. Yeah. And they were a certain, people were chosen based on their intellect and their stature. So they had to be quite smart and they had to be big, broad men because they were dealing with, they kept the peace and they had like a... A certain kind of baton and that's all they carried huh. and they kept the peace wow but they were employed like by the city to do that and so i just imagine my because my this ancestor i think was just six foot so it wasn't particularly big one of these like they were bigger and carrying around this like a bat <laughs> and patrolling the streets um 
but he was in love with my great-great-grandmother and he followed her out like he left his job and he came here to farm which he had never done he lived in the city but he followed her and they got married here which I think is quite romantic I don't know how well they did as farmers but they were quite happy together that's good yeah yeah so my grandmother was this little fierce red-headed woman and so they lived here they'd made they'd built their house and da 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 and settled in the south of Tasmania and a salesman came to their house. Again, Liz has heard this story. I love this story. <laughs> a salesman came to their house and he was he was selling them something. He that he they knew him. He was a regular salesman. He yeah, so I'm not sure if he had a store somewhere else. I said to my mum, Oh, was he a door to door salesman? She was like, No. And I was like, Well, okay. <laughs> so she just called him a salesman. So whether he had a shop somewhere or whatever and was trying to sell them something, I don't know, something bigger. So a bigger purchase and was trying to convince them to buy or I don't know but he was a salesman he came to their house they knew him so I'm not sure if my grandfather was there but my great-great-grandmother let him in and you know was going to set him up by the fire and settle him down and you know have a talk about whatever he was trying to sell them or she was going to buy or whatever and my great-great-grandmother had a pet pig a full-size pig like a big pig and that was her pet, one of, I think, I think she was an animal person, actually. I love it. So she had her pig and her pet pig and he's, or she, slept by the fire. That was, the pig was allowed to do whatever it wanted. It was like a dog. It just came inside or it went out or it, it wandered the house. It probably made a huge mess. But she loved it and the husband put up with it. So the pig was inside by the fire. And so the salesman came in and he wanted to sit by the fire, which if you know how big a full-size pig is, there probably wasn't much room for him. (laughs) And he got a bit annoyed and he kicked the pig. He was like, get out of the way. He kicked the pig. My grandmother was ropeable. She was so, so angry at him for kicking her pet. It was like going into someone's house and kicking their dog. You wouldn't do it. And she put a curse on him. She cursed him. We... It hasn't been passed down how she cursed him, like what she cursed him with happening. She put a curse on that man and kicked him out of her house. The right thing to do, can I just say? Kicking yeah. a pig. This <sighs> little, little red-headed, very fierce Irish woman who probably had a very strong accent, so I would have piss-bolted too if I was that salesman. <laughs> and he left. So we don't know how soon this happened after his visit to my grandmother and the kicking of the pig. But he was in an accident and he lost a leg, say, within 12 months at least. Like, we think it's closer too, but we, again, this is an oral history, a family legend. So we don't know how soon it was after he visited the house and kicked the pig, but he lost a leg. And yes, the legend goes that it was the leg that he kicked the pig with. Seems fair. Well, you know, he, yeah. he kicked a pig and Should've she cursed him and we assume it was to lose that leg and he did. So my grand, great-great-grandmother wasn't known as a witch or anything like that, but I like to think that she was. Well, she cursed him. Yeah. Like, not yeah. even in passing. It was like, I curse you. I do wish we knew what she had said because I would not... I would like to know... The intent to yeah. curse that level is so yeah. exciting. She was she was so, so angry. Mad. She was so Livid. so angry. <laughs> That's the story goes. She was absolutely angry. and you know I can imagine because 
these were that she came out to the convicts like she came out she lived there she was and she came out by herself i don't think she came out her brother i think may have still been a still been in a convict then i don't know if he was free when she came out she came out by herself yeah so that takes some guts then yeah and yeah. i don't think she was particularly not i'm not 100 percent sure but i don't know if she was particularly young so she wasn't like a teenager yeah so yeah that took some balls yeah so you think a woman like that you wouldn't want to cross her so that man was just an idiot for kicking her pig seriously in her house he got what he deserved oh yeah and then, <laughs> and then he lost his leg it's a great it's a great bit of family history the th- i have one more thing to share it isn't as much of a story as the others but it does show the the thread of these kind of beliefs and how they can easily come through to today we so a family friend a friend of my family so this is now we know a man and he's an older gentleman he's absolutely lovely but he he was talking to my mum oh maybe four or five months ago and it was a feast saint of a feast day for a saint like an irish saint yes he's from ireland coming up and i cannot remember and i could not find which saint this was and i couldn't contact him before i came down here to find out but I will, and Liz can put in the show notes, which exactly which saint, because I want to know. <laughs> and he was telling my mum that for he was going to do it, and she really should put out some milk and bread for the fairies on the day as part of celebration for this saint. Yeah. And I, I want to know more about it. I was going to talk about the saint now and, and how that fitted in, but I didn't couldn't find out which saint it was, but yes. As part of the celebrations for the feast day of that Irish Catholic saint, they were putting out. He wanted my mum, and he was putting out bread and milk for fairy for the fairies as an offering, and that was something he just he just did that. He's not pagan in supposedly in any way. This is just the family celebration. It's what they did, and he's brought that out. He came to Tasmania only over ten years ago, ten or thirteen years. I can't remember. And if you ever listen to this, um, my apologies if I've got it wrong. But So he hasn't been here for a really long time, but he grew up in Ireland and that was just part of what happened. Yeah. And he's brought that celebration and those kinds of things through. And he follows the old Irish calendar, as he calls it, but it's just the seasons, the same as like the witch's wheel of the year. Most of the celebrations are exactly the same and he follows traditions that his family have done but he's, he's i don't know if he call himself catholic but he's definitely christian but the melding of those two kinds of beliefs that's fine that's just how it is yeah so even right up to today like certain aspects of those superstitions and those or what other people might call superstitions but the rituals and traditions they're still there and people will still follow it and people will have no no qualms i suppose about mixing those beliefs still Irish Catholicism it's not like it's not like other forms of Catholicism the devil is a meldable kind of concept it's quite different hmm and that's all I have my family stories there there are others and if if eventually anyone finds any of that kind of stuff interesting 
there will be more to share if that's of interest to anybody. Yeah, tell us. Tell us mm. if you want to hear more about that. Because yeah. I think I think it's so easy to assume that none of this stuff came out here like Yes, state well, it's written down. People, written down. People did assume that none of it came. And it's just about conversations that you have mm. with people and again mm. we, we have lost that over time as we've probably mm. become more technological and you know well obviously we don't because we've become we are witches witches. (laughs) but you know it's there's conversation and there's actual conversation yeah and it's a really i feel it's part of like ancestor worship to a degree to it's really important to me to capture those stories and those almost family legends and you know, those in some ways mundane facts about other parts of my family and other things they did that no one else will possibly find very interesting. Because those stories are interesting, but there's other things that might not be. But they're interesting to me and they're yeah. interesting to my family. And I think it's really important to keep a hold of those things. And they matter to mm. those spirits, you would yeah. think, if it was so important to them in life. Yeah. Would and it that's, continue? that's why the markings, that's why the, the, the sigils and the folk markings that we've that have been found refound yeah are so important i feel they're really really important and a wonderful find a wonderful discovery i love it it just it gives that extra connection to our mm. our british ancestry even though mm. it isn't that that it's not that long, long ago, ago but there's a really big cutoff like yeah. i feel quite separated from them you were going to say something about the way they're preserving the uni students? Yeah, so... I think this is important, but it's Liz's thing, so she can tell. Oh, no, you can tell it. That's oh, no, fine. No, no. Um, so one of the things that uh, Dr. Ian Evans has done is to get involved with the architecture students at the University of Tasmania, and they're going around these buildings, and they are mapping and uh, photographing the sigils. Sigils? I guess they're markings, markings so, yeah, yeah, um, and burn marks and that kind of thing to to preserve them because mm. these are old buildings. They are old buildings, and so, and some of them are really not well maintained. Yeah. Some of them are dilapidated now, as is often the case. Our heritage department with our government could always use more money, so yeah, they don't have as much as they'd like to be able to preserve these you know and there's hundreds of buildings here that need preservation that are old as tasmania so <laughs> well old as the british colonies in Since tasmania it was called tasmania Since it was called tasmania <laughs> but old as tasmania yeah because yeah. it's yeah before then yeah it was called something else so you know, yeah so it, it and it's amazing that that it is going to be captured and, and while we might not have answers now or well, the ability to properly investigate it mm. presently at least it'll be captured mm. for years to come so yeah and hopefully because they've found them even if the hopefully won't but if buildings fall down or become so dilapidated they're dangerous they might be able to take these out you know take them out i know they don't like doing that in situ is way better of course with this kind of like archaeological architectural heritage but if they had to they know they're there now so they can at least take them away if the building is going to just like is dangerous yeah so at least there's that as well absolutely Mm. yeah so i think it's it's great and while you know it might not be the way that we necessarily think about 
magic in our personal practice. I think mm. that it's something that we definitely can we probably mm. do incorporate in different ways, like mm. people who do crystal grids under homes or yeah. Um, that kind of thing. Well, so, a lot of people do things to bless their space. Exactly. That was just a different and way. And to protect it. Just because you're not putting a cat in your chimney, please don't anyone do that ever. <laughs> we will disown you as a listener. But, you know, it's, there's there, there. You can see that we people do do things to take care of their space, even yeah. if it's, yeah, not horrible things like that. Yeah. Yeah, some yeah. of it's probably maintenance, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, putting an old shoe under your house for... Yeah. People might still do that somewhere. Yeah. I had never thought to do that. Yeah. I can... It's a rather funny picture thinking of someone in 200 years finding a Reebok sneaker and going, wow, (laughs) this is a magic thing. (laughs) This Reebok. What is a Reebok? Who knows? That could happen. I think it's a very funny picture. (laughs) I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, what do we do now that people will be like, those people there's a lot of things that people go what the hell were they thinking oh lots of people think that about me now that's for sure (laughs) Mm. let alone in 200 years (laughs) or more yeah Mm. so i just i think it's fascinating um it is and it's really tasmanian like it's a great well it's not purely tasmanian but it's a recent thing and it's it's new and exciting here it really Mm. is and um and it just you know adds to that idea of what custom was like and and just like social life but yeah but definitely like the beliefs and like real more personal information about these people that you wouldn't get in any other way yeah yeah Mm. and we could still and we could go to some of these places and see the markings which would be great and you, oh, yes, actually, I was yeah. thinking that we need to yeah. go to like. Field trip, <laughs> we need to find who's done it in the Huon or. Um, well, there's heaps in, in the, the Midlands, Dermot. and that's not too far away. Yeah, that's mm. true. That's very mm. true. So the Midlands, Oatlands. Yep. Um, yes, the courthouse mm-hmm. that has the sigils on the drawer. I say sigils. Marks. Yeah, I said the markings. Yeah, I said sigils I just, earlier. I don't quite. Some of them could be called that. I don't know. I don't know. Apologies um, if someone knows and that's offensive in some way. Yeah, I guess, excuse me. Yeah, I guess it depends on what they're marking. They they're are markings. Um, one of the books that uh, uh, Dr. Anne Evans referenced is called Medieval Graffiti: The Lost Voices of England's Churches by Matthew Champion. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have it, and I have flipped through it a little bit, mm-hmm. particularly looking at the hexafoil stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we're talking we're talking lots of Lots of old, mm. old, yeah, remnant information. So, yeah, mm. love it. Love and it, while love it, love it's, it. it's not obviously not Tasmanian or even Australian, I bet there's a lot of similarities between the information in that book and what's going on here. Absolutely, what's going which on is here. probably why he's referencing it because mm-hmm. the symbols Makes are going sense. to be found. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and you'll put the actual reference to that in the show notes i can do that i think it's a good idea yeah if anyone is interested in even just looking at at a copy yeah Mm. i think i think it's a it's interesting i haven't read much but it's um is it quite academic um not that i noticed um but i would say that the text i hate books with small text the text is smaller than i would like that is very small yeah um, but there's Point, 10 point. Ten, yeah. That's pretty small. 
<laughs> Not a nice 12. It might even be an 8. Oh, <laughs> yuck. Uh, it'll make you blind, but it'll be a really good read. Yeah. And, hope. like, just, yeah, flick through and look. Like, they've got some stuff in the back about the different areas in England, mm. um, the different shires. And it'd be interesting to sort of, if you have any English convicts who have come out and you know where they were to cross-reference so I I don't have any English ancestors I don't think but if you did know and they lived in Oatlands or a town in Tasmania and you could cross-reference with that book and see well that would be very interesting some of my relatives came out from Suffolk and it's in there um, possibly not in Ooh. here, but certainly on the um, that I've not that I've read because I yeah. haven't got very far yeah, in yeah, yeah. this week. Um, but certainly in the, the the fact that that's where one of the places was that discovered the marks to begin mm, with mm. in the eighties. So you know yeah. you gotta you gotta wonder. Yeah, interesting stuff. It is. So I think we've come to the end. I think we have. I've talked about all my stuff. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, cool. You happy? Yes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. (laughs) Thanks, peeps. For letting us talk at you for however long this is going to end up being. Yeah. Maybe longer than we thought. Which is good. Another hour. (laughs) Um, And we really do appreciate people listening. And and, um, we didn't expect to have that many people listen. But we've been... Not from the beginning. Very... Right from the beginning. Pleasantly surprised. So thank you so much. Thank you. And we're done. We'll see you again in a month. Have a joyous holiday season of whatever holidays you're going to be celebrating at the end of december and if you're not celebrating anything have a good break enjoy your december in australia and the southern part of the world would be nice and warm so we hope you have a lovely warm holiday and if you're up north we also hope you have a lovely warm holiday in the cold and snow if you're in snow yes yes i would hate to have christmas in snow now yeah, I've done it once. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like getting out and going to the beach and being in the warm at that time of year. Backyard cricket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Typical Australian tradition. Barbecue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. We're signing off. Bye, guys. Bye. And gals. <laughs> yeah, I know. They thought they didn't think it was here at all. And it was just like, <laughs> they just came out here. All those like peasants and people who had practiced this stuff for you know all of their lives came out to Tasmania and then just promptly forgot. We're not going to do that now. We're in the new world. Uh, no, we're not going to be crazy superstitious people. No, we're civilized citizens now, living in this hut that we built ourselves. <laughs> sure, that's going to happen. We're just going to forget who we are. <laughs> Oh, there's an outtake.